I made that tape special for today. My special Monday morning tape for you. Special. Well, it's fucking Monday afternoon. You should get out of bed earlier. Come on, dude. Play it. Don't you want to hear what's next? What's next? Play it. What came first, the music or the misery? People worry about kids playing with guns or watching violent videos that some, that some sort of culture of violence will take them over. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? I think that's about as good as a place to jump in as any. Hey Pointy, this hey. is one of my favorite topics i know and i think we were just talking about uh in last couple episodes about how much we want someone to choose this and oh. now it's been delivered i know right welcome to the next episode of splitting cases as we said this has been one we're waiting for for a while and this is a man that is worth the wait uh, i'd like to introduce scully Hey. Uh, he's a good mate of mine. He's actually my desk buddy at work and he still enjoys my company. In so the cubicle farm. The cubicle farm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Point to you, Matt Scully, before. I have, yes. Uh, when we went to see Tim Rogers a couple of weeks ago and also in your backyard, I believe. Yeah, yeah. he just hangs around there. Yeah. This so. is exciting. I'm glad because I've been you know, racking my brain for a long time about a topic. Yeah. Why don't we talk about our top five movies of all time? And Gran said, how about High Fidelity? Yeah, so, you had me at top five. <laughs> I just, I thought this tape was going to be a fucking conversation stimulator, man. I was going to ask you for your top five records to play on a Monday morning and all that, and you just had to fucking ruin it. Well, we'll do it next Monday. No! I'm going to do it now! This was a movie I saw when I was, say, year 2000, 15 years ago. I was just, just turned 30, just ticked over the big 3 0. Yeah. With the benefit of hindsight, looking back at all the relationships that had, I'd been through and had failed. I was I was like Rob, casting my mind back to the different girlfriends I'd had and I loved it because he was in this really cool job and he loved his music and yeah, I think I just really related to Rob. But it's the total thing of he was in this really cool job in your eyes but he was just fuck this by the end of it. But when... I don't think it was supposed to be a cool job, I think. Yeah, I think it was he, meant to be like I'm stuck in this. Yeah, I'm stuck place. in this thing yeah. that I thought would be cool, and yeah. now, now it's not. And I, I had been through a similar thing. I had been working as an entertainment reporter in my own life for five years, and I had just thrown in a job that everyone was like, "Man, that was such a cool job to be doing." And because, but I'd got to a point, I thought, "Well, I can't keep going on doing this. This isn't like a real job. It's this is, I can't see myself at forty doing the gig guide." It's really funny that it's a point of change because when I first saw this movie, I was back together with my then on and off again teenage girlfriend and we were house sitting for somebody and we'd just gone to a party and we had a massive argument and I was like, you want to watch a movie? She's like, sure. And so we went through the person we were house sitting's movie collection. I was like, well, I've never seen this. Mm. How fucking apt was that pick? And we will get back into the book because I really want to go back to the source material. But since we're in talking about first experiences with the movie, Pointy, you've yet to share yours. Okay. As far as I can recall, I did watch it with my girlfriend at the time. and But there was no... Um, Hanky-panky. 
no, no. There, I don't know. Maybe I don't remember, but there was certainly no um, dire event similar to yours where it was awkward. But yeah, and I, I don't remember loving it at the time. No, I um, loved it at the time. Like I liked it, but then I think a couple of years later, I read the book, then went back and watched the movie again, and then sort of obsessed mm. over it. Well, we're going to do exactly that. We've talked about the movie, but we're going to go back to the book and then make our way back to the movie. So what was yeah. your impression of the book, being that it was like, set in England as opposed to America? I don't know. It's like anything. If you watch the movie first, you can always find a few little bits and pieces in the book that you find more intriguing, probably just because it's different sometimes, not necessarily better. When did you read the book? I never read the book. You've never I'd, read the- I'd never felt the, uh, the urge to read the book. Ah! Well, the movie was perfect. I, th- I think I might have flicked through the first chapter and gone, yeah, that seems pretty faithful. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> to, to the movie, but yeah. uh, I'd, it's like the the same reason I haven't watched Blues Brothers two thousand. Sure, the Blues Brothers movie was per- so good, it was so perfect that I didn't need to see a sequel. And I'm like, I'm pretty much like that with a lot of movies. I don't need to go and read the book as well. Yeah, it's not a long book though, so I was. Yeah. I mean, I can get that if it's like you watch Lord of the Rings. Do you really need to go read <laughs> like, <laughs> like 3,000 pages? That's why I went to the movie. For but, Seriously. But for High Fidelity, it's a reasonably short book. And I think um, Look, it's a, Nick it's a, Hornby's yeah. pedigree is is worth the time because after reading High Fidelity, I went and consumed everything that he had written. Yeah. And oh, I still do so. And it's all great. I'm the Case same. in point is I fucking hate all sports. But I love Fever Pitch, uh, which was his first book, which yeah. was non-fiction, basically yeah. about his love of football. And I because was Nick Hornby kept, writes like, so fucking in. well. Yeah, well, I, I think he what he writes about is probably in Fever Pitch and High Fidelity the most, just loving something and being well, that's obsessed with something. Rule, and know, that's going to write something, write, write about what you know. Well, that's love. our podcast. We yeah. get people on who yeah. love something. But it's that thing, it's probably, you know, talks about, well, I'm guessing all three of us are probably obsessed mm. with collecting something or liking something. That was the other thing And too. that's, the, yeah. I think, the thing that attracts you to high fidelity. It's everyone's got that piece in them that's obsessive about something. Oh, and yeah. You can relate to it. Like, I really liked the fact that he was a massive collector. I'd never seen anyone with oh, a, a record collection as big as his. But I had a share house with a guy I was in a band with that... Um, he had a, a record collection that was very much like Rob's record collection in did the he opening autogra- scene. Did he organise it biographically? Uh, alphabetically. But, I, uh, bet he, I bet at one point <laughs> he's been tempted to autobiographically arrange it. Well, I've, I've been through those phases like Rob in, in my life where I've thought about reorganising my, rec- my own it's record collection. comforting. Rob's was... reorganisation happens midway through the movie, though. After Laura leaves, isn't it's it? It's after Laura leaves, yeah. yeah. So and that was the comforting. And before yeah. he meets Marie DeSalle, because that's why Dick comes to the house. Oh man! See, the thing is, I haven't seen this movie since. You know, the last time I saw this movie, I played this movie when my now wife, then girlfriend, came to my house and hey. we watched it together. It's about relationships. And I knew if she got into this movie, that we would be okay. But the cool thing with the High Fidelity movie, and that's your point of reference for High Fidelity, Mm -hmm. is that when you read the book, all those characters are cool, but when you see the movie, Jack Black completely owns that character. John Cusack owns that character. It becomes theirs. It becomes something completely beyond the book. Yeah, I I think that... um, 
it must have been the first Jack Black movie I saw. I think it was probably the same for most people, but I really loved his the he was the foil to the music snobs. He was the you know, he was the the nod to the popular popular music geek in all of us. Oh yeah. Compared to what was the other dude? The Dick. Bell Dick. and Sebastian guy. Yeah. <laughs> Dick was the total, the total like music snob and like, oh, he liked this indie stuff. But yeah, no, Barry was pretty much just like, this is what's good. Fuck everything else. That's pappy crap. If you think about it, they're like the different parts of the human psyche. Like if you like maybe, <laughs> um, you know, Barry's that, um, that sort of lizard brain. Um, I don't know what you use that the medulla. I don't know. I can't remember. I don't know. But like he's that kind of lizard brain, uh, instinctual. You know, he's that raw gut reaction. Instinct, yeah. Um, um, Dick is he's the intellectual, the, the cerebral. You know, and so what is Rob? Rob's the heart. Rob's the heart. Oh, is that I don't a part know. Or of is the he, psyche? Or is he or just is he the, ego? the bit of both? I always no. sort of thought. Quick, I, quick, quick! I think Rob we need to Google. We need, we need to Google the human psyche because <laughs> there's definitely three parts. I hey, remember. we've gotten deep in this before, but we've never Googled the human psyche. <laughs> I feel like this podcast would explode in people's ears if we do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what we Talked came here about for. About maybe the fact that Rob and Dick and Barry Barry are, are actually an amalgam of the same person like maybe we've all got a bit of each character yeah they're all all variations of certain parts of the human psyche yeah maybe i don't know i and i i haven't read the book and i haven't read anything about the movie or the book but i reckon if you asked i would definitely ask nick hornby that question well i kind of think with like music lovers you could be any of those three Mm. based on who the company is with at the time yeah like Mm. if i'm with moose for instance I'm probably not going to be seen as Barry. He would be seen as Barry. I would be Barry. <laughs> in that scenario, that's how it would work. But in some other scenarios, like with different friends, maybe I would be Barry. Like, I think it's all yeah. subjective because... Yeah, I think maybe the, it's about like, who the, you are. There's that scene where, if you got the quote from the scene about the music snobs where the guy comes in, they have the whole conversation about music snobbery. And I think... Like any collection, any collection of people that know enough of collectively about a particular genre of music or an era will consider themselves to be music snobs. You guys are snobs. No, we're not. Yeah, seriously, you're totally elitist. You feel like the unappreciated scholars, so you shit on people who know less than you. Yeah, no, they, they do everybody. the little fist bump. Yeah, at the end. <laughs> that's so sad. <laughs> totally. Fuck. Well, I mean, I guess you can't help but feel like that if you've devoted so much time money and effort into appreciating something or collecting something of course even if you don't want to be yeah. a bit of a snob it's gonna seep out a little bit fetish properties are not unlike porn i'd feel guilty taking the money if i wasn't well one of them it's it's a movie then really about any kind of collectors yeah totally but you mentioned that as you grow up, Rob becomes a less appealing character, and I totally agree because I, I thought Rob. Oh, was but, totally... but only because like I realised that I was as awful as him. Oh yeah, me so too. So I hated myself 100%. more because you can always relate to that movie because you're like, oh, I definitely well, was a jerk to all these people. My go, guts have shit for brains. <laughs> yeah. Can we go through the, his 
like each girlfriend? What was the f- the first girlfriend was? Oh, who was the first? Was it Penny? No, it wasn't no. it was a girl from school. It like was the girl that. from school. That was kissing Kevin was Bannister. Kissing Kevin Bannister. Yeah, that's right. Slut. The premise of the movie starts out with a breakup. Yeah. He's broken up with the love of his life. Laura. And the movie is, he goes through every girlfriend in his life he's ever been through to try and work out why it is he can't keep a girl. No, the top five uh, I mean, this girls would have been, broke his heart. It's the top five breakups of all time. This yeah. would have been a sensible thing for us to do at the start of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, better late than never. So he starts off with his primary school girlfriend. Yeah, because they, they made yeah, He kisses another leeches. boy in the playground. Yeah. And then the next one is the high school and he's got the leather jacket on. Yeah, and, and it's, it's Penny and it's like, and he's try he, he leaves her because he can't get what he wants from her. And he's like, I tried to touch her boobs and she turned me down. And so I just try to put my hand up her skirt and it's like being turned down for a dollar and asking for 50 grand instead. Yeah. And then he, but then he, as part, as part of his recovery, he tries in the movie, he tries to track all of these girls down and find out why, like what went wrong. And when Penny, he goes back and she says, no, I didn't break up with you. You broke up with me. You That's know, I right. Wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. And this makes me feel great. I should do this for all of them. He says that, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Because that's that's the moment as an adult I went, oh man, I don't like some of the things that I said to women over the years. Because he's just, he, he sees nothing of her pain and hurt over the years that he's done to her. He's just like, right, So maybe cool, this movie absolved. Maybe this film should be compulsory viewing for all 17-year-olds. Yeah, well, I think so. But, oh, Wake up to yourselves, I, boys. Or, no, I don't think so. Because <laughs> I think it'll, the message is lost or would be lost on oh, some people. really? I think it's not right. until you grow well, older and read. I think you have to have some degree of like self-awareness to say, oh no, that's, yeah, yeah. I was the dick in this. It's yeah, but a... I reckon like if you go to the average 17 year old and, and say, you know, who or what do you want to be when you're 30? 17 year old kid goes, 30s, like, man, you're almost dead. dead. <laughs> um, I don't want to be that sad guy who's all alone with nobody you know, a string of failed relationships. Some people never working, got over Vietnam or the night their band a, opened for Nirvana. <laughs> working in a dead-end job, you know, what he thinks is the dead-end job, I happen to think it was pretty it's cool. It's a pretty cool job, owning a record shop. But, um, may, may, yeah, I don't know, maybe that's what Nick Hornby had in mind, was, um, or maybe it was just a contemplation on his 20s. Oh, I look. think it, I think it probably was. But it was, it was so, you know... Affectionate. It was an affectionate look. Yeah. Oh, the whole movie. He, is and and he, owned, he owned up. He owned up to the fact that he he was a bit of a dick, and it's probably that's what your twenties are for. And that's why he <laughs> could get back with Laura because he revisited those. Oh man, I'm so sorry for spoiler alerts, but if you have, if you're listening to a high fidelity <laughs> podcast and you haven't read or listened to it, go make a cup of tea. I don't think you can spoil a movie that's been out for yeah. fifteen <laughs> no. years. Rule. Okay, fine. But that's why he got back with Laura because. He had also Darth up. Vader is Luke's father. Darth Vader is Luke's <laughs> father. You need to know this. We've already gone through two of the top five heartbreaks of Rob's life from High Fidelity. Who's number three? Who's number three? Catherine Zeta Jones. It's got to be Charlie. Charlie, right? yeah. Yeah. Oh, who's Charlie? Catherine Zeta. Catherine Zeta Jones. Charlie. So Charlie was his so, college girlfriend. He was always too cool for him. Yeah, punching above and his he weight. He knew that she was too cool for him. Yeah, but she was also obnoxious. And he couldn't really see that at the time. He always felt, you know, threatened by a lot of the guys in her art department. And she left him for one for of the guys one in the of art them. department. Yeah. Yeah. It's a familiar story. Have we all been in the situation where we've been with someone where we're punching above our weight? Currently. 
Currently, okay. I think all of us currently. Yeah, big thumbs up. Yeah, we have to say that they're our wives, and currently, we love them. Yes. <laughs> to to be completely honest, I thought I was punching above my weight with every single. Like, <laughs> I have a I have a girlfriend. Someone's putting up with me. This yeah, is fantastic. So that's, that's what I love about the story is that there's all those different kinds of relationships. Like there's then there's number four, which is the relationship. The like the comfort relationship, bread of hate, or the, basically, yeah, the what? The bread of hate, like they both other people done with yeah. relationships, and they kind of you know run to each other and cling to each other. It's that a hilarious scene with the wave crashing and the headscarf. And <laughs> only people of a certain disposition this are frightened of being alone for the rest of their lives at age twenty six, and. We were of that disposition. That is the quote I was searching for. Thank that you. was my entire fucking teenage years and 20s. <laughs> I don't know why I was so... It's like, you don't know why you started that 10 years before you needed to, but... <laughs> it's like the things like... I could have done with my life before settling down. And this is the kind of advice that older people give you when you're a teenager and you don't listen to it. No. Well, because you, you can't. Teenager, like, to be fair, 20, you can't. It's like... like, it's all those mistakes that... Get you, to, get, get you to the point where you can be the one dishing out the advice. Because no teenager is going to listen to anything. And this is the point of the book and the movie and the whole story. Well, hang on. This is why I was saying I think it should be compulsory viewing for 17-year-olds. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you think it might be too heavy or whatever, but no, I, because... think, I think it's got, rock, it's got great music. It's got likeable characters. It's got Jack Black. You see the dude go through that process that most people are going to go through of relationships and working out where he went wrong and rightfully or wrongfully realizing that he didn't do any wrong and blah, blah, blah. You know, you can associate more with that guy who's giving you advice because mm. you see all you saw how he got there. And he, so then he goes back to, if we go back to the movie, he goes back to Catherine Zeta-Jones no, he doesn't go back to... No, no, he does. He meets he up with her again. He goes yeah. back to find out why it ended. And then he realises yeah. that she's a She's tool. awful. She's yeah. awful, yeah. She's awful. He, he but goes that back, surprise me. He I goes back to girl number four. And then he goes... And she tries to, like... She's still the same. And he hasn't moved on. Yeah, she's really clingy. And she's, like, on meds. And she's not well. And, and Penny, yeah, was and so quite number successful. Four, fucking hated him. Yeah. So number four, what happens then? Number five, who was number five? Um, was Marie DeSalle, wasn't? No, Marie DeSalle was just incidental. Was Laura was number five? Laura was number five. Was there another girlfriend? No. Marie DeSalle is the is she? The, she she was Lisa, Lisa Bonet in real Lisa life. Lisa Bonet, who was in the Cosby's. Yeah. There's a Cosby crossover section in oh, this man. movie. Oh, man, there totally is. There's a Cosby... Cosby section. sweater! Cosby sweater. Cosby oh, sweater. Let's not talk about Cosby. That guy's awful. <laughs> well, no, but Cosby sweater is... Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, it's like... I'll suck you in the nose! Yeah, so he gets up to lead... Laura. Laura, ex-girlfriend, ex So, Laura wasn't in the top five originally, but there was a point where he goes, oh, so-and-so, nah, well, that was just because I needed someone to push Laura out, but because of the stuff with Ian, he put her back That's into right. the top five. He doesn't, he yeah. doesn't want to acknowledge that she's in the top five because he's still hurting. And here's the thing that you will realize going through any long-term relationship in your 20s, you're too fucking, long for a, too fucking young for a long-term relationship. It's the whole thing with Laura... They were too young and too stupid. She had a career purpose and a, like a, a, tr a path she had to follow and Rob got stuck and he just needed can we, to... Can we just stop at Laura though? Because before he, he acknowledges that she was in the top five, we have to meet Ian. Oh, so, fucking what? Ian guy. Fucking, fucking Ian, Ian guy. guy. So, so 
he's talking to his sister, who's Joan Cusack plays his sister. By the way, his they've real been life like a sister. million movies together. Yeah, yeah. So she's been. He's talking to her on the phone. He's feeling bad and whatever, and she just happens to mention that. Laura's seeing this Ian guy and blah, blah, blah. I don't blah. think much goes, of this fucking Ian, guy? Ian guy. But it's, it's broken up <laughs> because he like goes out to talk to the guys in this, on the shop floor and then he comes back and then he's just... <gasps> <laughs> I like it's that scene, but also this scene when he's uh, talking to his mum and like yeah. she's just like heaps she's heaps upset that it's over I know why cold shit mom I know why you broke up cause you didn't want to get married she didn't even want to get married mom that's not what girls do these days I don't know what girls do these days all I know is you move in she go you move in she go and that's the perfect piece of ex- like plot exposition isn't it Oh that, man! That he's got form, and and everyone realizes, you know, that your mom's actually just tell you the unvarnished truth. Yeah, really. So that's that some cold was, shit, mom. That's some cold shit. That's what mums are for. <laughs> so Ian's on the scene. Yeah. So Ian is this like rebound guy that's the upstairs neighbor that has sex with people that you can hear <laughs> through the floor, and you know, just. And there's that scene flashback of them in bed together listening yeah, no to sex Ian upstairs. Is better than the sex you are having with Ian in my head. I can't remember though. Like, was she seeing Ian, or did she move in with Ian, or she was she staying moved? with him? Staying with yeah, him. staying yeah. with him. Right. And then so he, like, in Rob's head, she's sleeping with Ian, but in reality, probably not. Well, she did at some point during halfway through the movie but she hadn't seen evil dead 2 she yet. hadn't seen evil 2 <laughs> yet but yeah he go that's when he goes to the phone box outside and he's calling ray's number and she's in the kitchen and answering the phone but um uh, yes yeah ray is just oh man what that's um tim robbins with a wig and with a ponytail just Oh, he's awful. And there's that scene, like he's dreaming of what happens if, yeah. if Ray ever walked into the store. No, because Ray comes into the store. and yeah, <laughs> They replay the like different the scenarios. Different <laughs> yeah. It's like increasingly violent. Like The first one's like, get the fuck out. The second one's like more expanded. And then the third one's everyone gangy and like phone in the face <laughs> with the teeth flying everywhere. pulling. The, it's like Barry's pulling the air conditioner off the wall and slamming it on his head. Yeah. And in the end, it's all that it's just, classic, you know, he doesn't the, say anything. the things that you would say half an hour later after you, you needed to have that snappy comeback. Mm. But in Get reality, he was... stink out of my store. <laughs> That's right. He finally realizes she's in the top five. Congratulations, Laura. You, you made, made it. Because she fucking broke his heart because she went out with Ian. And yeah, at that and point, there's that scene. No, in the I don't rain. think that's not why she broke his heart. Because like, she fucking left him. Yeah, it's not because of Ian though. But no, that's Ian. That's, gets that's him just in... kind of the catalyst. Yeah, the like, catalyst think, to get her into the top five. But I think yeah. up until that point, you've pretty much you've seen the he's entire so... movie through the prism of Rob. But he's so self righteous about it at that point. Yeah, Fuck yeah. you for leaving me, blah blah. And then when she gets together with Ian, that really it all catalyzes. Well, uh, Laura's down. friends pretty. She's like a pretty good. Um, character in that movie as well because she's friends with because she's friends them. with both of them and then she's like kind of going to be sympathetic to him and then, but then she, she finds out the, the big that? Joan Cusack Joan oh because she's friends with both yeah and then she finds out sister no no no, no, no. not Isn't in it? the movie oh, I thought only was, in real oh, life I thought she was a sister in the movie no no because no, like okay. she finds out that yeah that the three things that he did yeah that he would, possibly, she would have told she would have told her one of three things possibly all three that 
He borrowed ten grand off her, and kind of maybe never paid it back. Kind of maybe never. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, to set up um, the store. Yeah, she got an abortion, and possibly was like because of the fact that he said he was kind of maybe sort of looking around for someone else, because she used a sneaky lawyer trick on him yeah. because she's like uh, much um, smarter. Sorry? Because she's much smarter. Because she's much smarter than me. Yeah. Um, yeah. That. So that I've, up until that point, I think most of the movie's been through Rob's eyes. And yeah. And that's when you start to see it through Laura's. And then as a guy in my 30s, I'm like, and and realising, you know, all through my 20s, I've been a bit of an ass. That, that yep. was kind of, yeah, for me, I was in that situation. And that was such a clever thing for Nick Hornby to do, is, or the filmmakers or whoever. Is that uh, to suck you in as a guy to then see it from a woman's perspective? Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you start to think, fuck, man, like you really want him to get back with Laura. But then at that point, that's when he's (laughs) starting. Because he's such a smart girl like yeah and he's starting to realize all the reasons that his other relationships broke up and then he has that point under the bridge where he's like the top five things i miss about laura oh i could easily do the top five things i hate about her but she'd be the garden variety just you know woman stuff and you realize that laura is actually giving him the space that he needs to fucking work it out for himself and then when she turns up in his kitchen with the list of things that he's written like given like Regardless of time and money and history, and remind life. me that scene again. Oh, all the things that he wants to do, and he's doing none all of them. And no, it's no, like he wants he to work wants... at Capitol Records, but he owns a record shop. All of them have like perks of working with this artist, this artist, this artist, and heaps of free records. And then the final one is becoming a record producer. And she's then, you know, it's owning your record shop. And she's like, well, you kind of do that, and you can do that. And she booked this show for um, Kinky Wizards. Is it the Kinky Wizards? Maybe. Don't look it up. Don't look it up. Let's just run with it. <laughs> Kinky Wizards. I'm sorry if that's not right. Justin and someone. Yeah, I feel who like, like, like fast forwarded too much there. No, it's in the, the same. The ones that stole the like 66 Sputnik records. Yeah, are you slamming to Johnny Mitchell now? Yeah. Are you stealing for someone else? I've forgotten that part of the movie. I think the, the Man, part all of the we movie... need to remember is Sonic Death Monkey. Sonic We're Death Monkey. Well, Sonic fucking Death Monkey. We're in the process of being like named Kathleen Turner Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> but right now we're Barry Shive and the Uptown Five. Yep, that's so it. So even Barry comes good in the end. In this oh, movie. even Barry. Because like fucking Rob's like wanting to pay him 110% of the door cut. For the to, not play. to not <laughs> yeah. play. And, um, and um, Lamo dude. Yeah, you know, hooks up with a girl. Yeah, Dick finds a girl. She know, Marcy and, and a Mars. And even in the end, you're like, Rob still hasn't fucking got his shit together. But you know, you see. Well, he kind of does at the end, I guess. Because well, he's but, but not before. Record. Not before. Yeah. Yeah, right not at the before, end. Not yeah. before. He tries with the music press girl. He tries to make oh, her a mixtape. Man, he, yeah, sleeps, he tries. With, but he, he tries. Sleeps with Lisa Bonet. Okay, so that's his first error. Yeah, and but that's me, when he's in, still in the middle of it. As an audience member, I'm like, you idiot. But they're you know, broken like, up. He wants to be the first to have slept with someone. Yeah, but, the, but yeah, the audience is thinking, fuck, you know, they've already realised Laura is 
the one. No, I, I, I haven't realized that by Why that point. Why is he I'm sleeping like, with yeah, Lisa Bonet? Go for Lisa Bonet. And it's not until he starts making the mixtape and he realizes, what am I fucking doing? But Lisa Bonet is, is pretty much just like a cooler Sarah. She's the rebound girl. They're just together because Lisa Bonet's character, Marie DeSalle, is getting over her boyfriend, How um, cool is James. She, by the way. You know, so she's going to go with James. He's going to go with Laura. The way she says James. 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 <laughs> oh. Mine is called James. I mean, she makes Peter Frampton sound good. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. I fucking hated that song. But now, yeah, I kind of like it. <laughs> the, the, the quote that ties it all together that's, you know, about relationships and it's about pop culture and it's about growing up is... I agree that what really matters is what you like, not what you are like. Books, records, films, these things matter. Call me shallow, but it's the fucking truth. And this, and by this measure, I was having one of the best states of my life, you know? That is a quote. I actually went searching for that quote because I wanted to start a blog. Yeah. And I wanted it to be about everything I give a fuck about. Yeah. And I was like, what's that quote from High Fidelity? It's what and that you was like, it. it's not what you are like. It's what you like, it's not what you are like that defines you. Books, music, films, yeah. these are the things that matter. It's important stuff. It's like you know, when I showed Madeline the High Fidelity movie and she got it. Yeah. That was cool. Then I knew that we could be together. <laughs> it was like there was instant validation. I was like, yes. Yeah. It's like, you know, movies are important. TV shows are important. All right. So we've kind of gone through... Being a stupid white male, we've gone through, you know, the movie and the book, but I think one of the big things about High Fidelity is the fact that it ties in, like, music. So, can we go through the music in that movie? Yeah, well, there's certainly Shit. a lot of it. And, like, for me, uh, it certainly introduced me to a couple of bands. Some that I'd sort of heard before, but not really paid much attention well, man, to. Man, it opens with the 13th Floor Elevators in the opening scene. He drops the needle on that record, and it sounds great. Yeah, and... Not just that though, like even just some sort of creeper songs in there that are sort of in the background. Like what? Well, for me, I always loved those first two Velvet Underground records, but I never really got into the later stuff. And Who Loves the Sun? Yeah. Like it's just on at a great time in that movie. Great song. And it's unlike the early Velvet Underground stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, it really suits that movie. The Beta Band. I did rush out and buy the beta band um, <laughs> here's a, here's three a, EPs. Here's a quote. Rob says, they're in the music store and he says to, uh, to Dick and Barry, I will now sell five copies of the three EPs by the beta band. Dick says, go for it. Rob puts the record on. The customer says, who's this? Rob says, the beta band. That's good. He's, the customer says, it's good. Rob says, I, I know. know. <laughs> this this it. reminds me of I've had those actual exchanges in music stores. Yeah, you feel it though. You hear it and it's new and it's. You know when you good. walk into a record store and they they you just know they know their shit. Yeah, what the fuck is that? that where totally. is that now? Where where do you get that? I have been Well, I that. guess that's what they're trying to do now with Spotify and Apple Music. They're trying to make these curated experiences so that you actually get that. Well, because, okay, but the because thing you're is not that... going to get that in JB Hi-Fi. As much as I think JB Hi-Fi is great for buying cheap CDs. Most of the people there aren't really into like music. They're just there for a job, right? So that brings me to the fact that 
that movie, like the book came out in 95, right? And this came out in 2000. If it had come out one or two years later, it would be so much less relevant. Well, I thought you were about to talk about like emailing a sandwich then. Well, yeah, I, me- I mentioned in the Beach Boys podcast with did with my dad that uh, Nick Hornby wrote sort of a where would Rob and Laura be now? If I had have written a sequel, I'd thought about it a million times, but I've never done it. And he said that movie and that book was released at the perfect time because it was the end of record store culture as mm. we knew it then. Like if somebody had told him when he was writing that book that you could email a song, it'd be like someone was telling him you could email a sandwich. It just yeah. didn't make sense. It'd be like if uh, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks were on Tinder or something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't have quite the same amount of romance. Those or... computers in that movie are massive. <laughs> they are. They're humongous. Yeah. You've got mail. You've got mail. And she has to sort of log on. It does oh, that modem dial-up. Like, I mean, I do miss that sound, to be honest. <laughs> no, you don't. I do. No one misses that sound. <laughs> it was comforting. It's because it was comforting because yeah. you had to fucking wait. Well, yeah. that's okay. Before that, you got the satisfaction. It was the delayed gratification sound. That is, that is. No one whole, has to wait for shit anymore. That was the whole reason why people are vinyl fetishists and think it sounds better because their brain is used to that sound, that classic sound of can, a crackle. Can I tell you, young whippersnappers? Yeah. In my day, when yeah. I was seventeen and yeah. you were ten, yeah. The way of discovering new music mm-hmm. in Newcastle was to one was you could listen to community radio at between the hours of 11 and 1 yep. on Friday nights and 2NURFM. It was the only FM station in town and they had a program called New Beat. Was that with like Maynard? So, no, nah, it wasn't Maynard, but, you know, there was uh, Blake, who's the news editor of NBN. He had, he had, a, he had a spot. Um, Tony McNamara. Um, a few guys had programs on that. And they basically play whatever the indie labels sent in to mm. the community stations around Australia, um, plus whatever they bought in from their own collections. You could listen to Rock Arena or Rage. They would use that information to then catch the train, the Newcastle Flyer, down to Sydney, and you would go to one of four record stores. There would Red be Eye? Red Eye, Phantom, Waterfront, yeah. and Utopia, which was metal. And like three of those four are still around, right? What I don't think Waterfront is. Waterfront Utopia. is. Oh, maybe not as a physical store, but it's still. It's they've definitely got a website because yeah. I bought the re-release of the Drones' uh, album. Um, long, uh, wait by wait, the river. Wait, wait long, long by, by the river. river um, just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And but you like you had Utopia it was a six-hour right. round trip. You'd spend you know two or three hours in the store. It so was you a, used to it do was that one day. You used I, to do I, that. I'd made a couple of I trips. I love that you did that. And you would bump into people from Newcastle down there who were doing the trip. Yeah. And I remember Blake, the same thing. And there was a couple of guys I was in a band with that would do the same thing. You know, that was back in the day, like, the guys from the Hard-Ons, would, they got a deal with Waterfront because they would self-press their own 7-inch vinyl, yeah. bring it into Waterfront to put it behind the counter. And the, the dudes who ran the store, the retailers, if they liked your song, they would play the shit out of it. Yeah. And, and people customers would hear, would hear it. it. And they would, that's how you, so, that's how you sold Fuck albums. Yeah. They weren't getting, yeah, maybe they had Double J. Back then it was before Triple J, Triple J and Double yeah. J went national. 
Oh, and hell, look. Yeah, you know, the guys, they were the fucking unappreciated geniuses. I grew up in New Zealand and I had not that quite similar experience, but we pretty much Flying had, Nun records. We had, well, yeah, fucking Flying Nun is amazing. Mm. But we I lived in a small town which had one real record store, which was like a sanity type record store and just stuck for top 40. That was it. And uh, I. That went, was like all of Newcastle. Yeah. Except for Tyrrells. Yeah. Tyrrells and Oscars to a lesser extent, but... Well, we had this was one fucking store and we had maybe like a couple of CDs in the warehouse, which is like a big kind of Kmart store. And then so once every month, I'm like super blind, so I need to go see an optometrist in Auckland and I'd say to my dad, we're going to Real Groovy. And Real Groovy <laughs> is this like block-wide record store with like... New, second-hand, mm. vinyl, CD, tape, everything at the time that was still mm. in flux. And I'd leave with a massive fucking bag of records that it would be my records until the next month. And and for a hundred bucks, I remember back in the day, for a hundred bucks you could get like ten records. Mm. And that would do you for three to six months. Well, I can remember I used, <laughs> the first thing I did when I got a um, Visa debit card when I was 18 was go on redeye.com and mm. go fucking nuts. Because I used to go there like once or twice a year. Yeah, I fucking love Red Eye get, in Sydney. When I could get to Sydney. But when I got that Visa debit card, I was like, fuck, I can go to Red Eye from here. <laughs> <laughs> just like buying shit. But, uh, I spent but most... you were ordering vinyl, physical. No, no, CDs, CDs. it would have been, yeah. I'm a CD guy. But um, I mean, I buy all sorts of uh, media, like physical media, whether it's CD or mm. vinyl now, depending what the record is. But growing up, I spent most of my time at Beaumont Street Beat um, oh, buying wow. stuff there. Yeah. And like I spent probably the ages of, I don't know, 13 to 21 buying everything there because I was like, why would I buy something brand new? There's like a whole fucking rack full of yeah. shit. Pre-loved. That's pre-loved. Vintage. Well, not it wasn't that. It was more just like I could buy one album or I could buy three albums. And Those CDs were just I, like your heart. And I was love. like, I'd, I'd rather buy three albums. I don't care that they came out a couple of years ago. If it's a good record, it's still a good record. Mm. Do they let you like preview stuff? Or... Oh man, I missed oh, they those had, days. Like, they, had, they had the CD stations there that you could like put stuff on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I miss those days where you can like go in and listen to it. But I suppose that's what Spotify is for. You know? So if you know, if High Fidelity was you know 2015. Wouldn't be a fucking thing. There wouldn't, wouldn't, there wouldn't be a movie. Where would it happen now? Maybe if like Steve Jobs comes out of the grave and tells you what you need to listen <laughs> to. I think you're right. It's like getting that back back to that curation. I like what you know Apple Music. If I tell the algorithm what stuff I do like and what stuff I don't like, it's pretty good. But that's the thing with, then, with such stores. You never told them what you did or didn't like. They just played what was good. Yeah, but yeah, I think like I actually remember having a physical encounter at the rock shop in uh, in Newcastle. A and positive just, physical encounter, or yeah, like, positive. And okay. uh, Jace, Jason, uh, Jason Waters nope. used to work there. His dad knew my dad, and he'd say, you know, I wasn't actually, I didn't know what I was looking for, which is. Kind of, it's kind of like how you use Apple Music. Yeah. And he said, "What are you into?" And I said, "Oh, you know, I like Pavement. I like." I named a couple of other bands, and he put me onto uh, there was a band called Tortoise. And uh, he said, "You might also like." Um, I actually think he might have bankrolled Will Oldham to okay, come yep. to Newcastle and like um, Red Eye. You know, a few recommendations, something you heard while you're in store. For the next six to twelve months, it just set me up. And what was the other band? Um, Sebado. 
Oh yeah, Lou Barlow. Love, yeah. He said you'd love Sebado. So that one encounter in a record store saying, you know, I'm into this band. If you like this band, then you'll like that band. That's the algorithm. Tortoise was, that was my soundtrack for a trip I did to the US where I was just walking around New York for 10 days listening. You know, that was just amazing. So, you know, if you, know, you find one person who's into music, like what Apple Music has done. But it's not a person. But no, but the, the, you've got the algorithm. Yeah, but, but the whole also thing. Got but the, also, the whole got thing the programs there, with yeah. DJs and. The whole thing that they're going for is that a person is curating some of these playlists. That's mm. their big shtick. Mm. And like Spotify is doing it as well. I reckon it's pretty good. So, like I've, I've, I've actually discovered some stuff from my own personal record collection that that Apple Music has thrown up and I've gone, actually, I like that. Yeah, they, they've done a pretty good job of it. But I do, I'd like the social aspects of Spotify more than Apple Music where mm, I can follow you and I can see, like, I, I've got my playlist here. You can on, see how much he's played Nicki Minaj. Uh, I don't he know. Hasn't, you haven't I don't really look me. for that. It's maybe, maybe... Oh, oh, no, you don't need to look for it. <laughs> it's like, know. that's what's going to be played. Maybe, maybe it's more of a personal curation thing. Like, I've got a Man, bu- no, bunch of playlists. I've got a bunch of playlists based on share houses I lived in. So I've got a, I've well, got isn't a that, you know... for App- Apple Crumble Street from the Chippendale days. I've got a playlist from the Bruce Street days. Isn't that like High Fidelity, though, in terms of he classifies his life by times of girlfriends, of music, of eras in his life? And, uh, and you know, if you feel like a walk down memory lane, it's a nice thing to do. Alison married Kevin! I am fine now! Married her junior high school sweetheart. In- kissed me on the bench. Kissed Kevin on the bench. Married Kevin! This is great! In stand-up comedy, this is what's referred to as a callback. We're now talking again about high fidelity. I'll call you back. Coming from the that late 80s period of having to go to very long distances to find music, I guess it would be anything that I ever said I had to record. Absolutely that when I was sitting there poised over the pause and record button, live on a Saturday night watching Rage, going, yeah, I'm going to record that because I liked the first 30 seconds. Then actually going to Tyrrell's record store, which was a 15-cent bus ticket from where I lived, half to the top of town, half fare to the top of town, up Hunter Street, and going to find that album by the Violent Femmes. Getting that home putting it on and then just making that space in your day where you could you could sit down with the headphones or not the headphones and just enjoy it from front to back. You just don't do that anymore. That's a day's trip. Well, I think that's why vinyls got that resurgence because it's so easy to just put a CD or an MP3 on because it's just going to keep playing. You don't really need to focus or set the time. Yeah. If you're putting a record on, it's like, okay, I'm going to have to swap this in 20 minutes. I can't just go, okay. you know, fart about. I need to pay attention and then I'm going to need to stop it or the music will stop. Nick Hornby wrote, as I said, a uh, follow-up, kind of what he would have written just for sequel and wrote a love letter to that movie slash novel. And that's kind of what we're talking about of how record listening has changed. He says, here's how you started a music collection. If you were born somewhere between 1940 and 1990, you bought an album and for the time being, that album was all you had. You liked some tracks more than others at first, 
But as you only owned 8 or 10 or 12 of them, maybe a few more if it was recently released CD, you couldn't afford to play favourites, so you listened to your one album over and over and over again until you liked all the songs equally. Wow. A couple of weeks later, you bought another album. After a year, you owned maybe 15, 20, 5 years, a couple of hundred. Mm. Here's how you started a music collection in the early years of the 21st century. You gave an iPod to a friend or an elder sibling or an uncle and you said, fill this up for me. And suddenly you have a couple of hundred or thousand tracks, most of which you would never listen to. If you're a teenager now, you probably wouldn't even bother going to any of that trouble because all the music ever recorded in the history of the world <laughs> is in your pocket on your phone. We know because that's the way the world always works. That teenagers in 10, 20 years' time will all be laughing and shaking their heads at the primitivism and inconvenience of Spotify. You had to wait a few seconds to download? Not everywhere had the internet? You had to touch a screen? But at this point, it's hard to imagine how music consumption of the future will be much easier or cheaper than it is now. Saying that to the man who has both his iPhone and his iPad on the table <laughs> with Spotify open on each. That is fantastic. You know, occasionally I will, if I like one song... For example, the uh, Lana Del Rey, I really loved the songs. Listening to a lot of Triple J last year for yeah. some reason in my car. I liked, what was that song that was all over the place? Was it Born to Die? Was it Video Games? No, it was like, it was. You know, I loved it anyway. It was something about LA. No. Anyway, I loved the song. I thought it was great. I went and bought the album. But I just didn't give it that time. Like I, I was like... I really should have just bought the single. But that is such a thing, right? But if like, that was like 1990, 1989, I would have, like he says, that's all I would have had. Yeah. And I would have felt compelled to, you know, invest a bit of time to getting to know that album. I guess the other thing, though, like, I totally agree with everything that's said there. But also, another point is, though, at the time you start listening to music, you probably have the most free time in your life <laughs> so it's very easy to like listen to albums yeah, over and over at the same it's time. not so easy as you get older like you I need to dedicate I think it's a product time. of us getting older i think we can say that i still listen to a fuckload of music so yeah. i don't think it is for me but i'm just saying in general okay people yeah, do not it, have as much time as they did when they were kids thinking of it from our that's true but thinking of it from our experience because we do listen to as much you don't invest the same amount of time in a album as you did when you were a teenager, surely. No, no, not a album, but like in general, I think. But you would listen to. If anything, I prob. It's you probably would give the more desire. things less time. Yeah, it's probably the desire to hear more that's uh, suffering there more yeah. so than the delivery method, though. Yeah. It's because I don't want to limit myself to a couple of albums. I want to make sure I'm hearing a lot because I don't want to be listening to the same types of music or the same you know okay. 10 20 bands that i like but because i listen to teenage fan club songs from northern britain over and over and over and over and over and over again i will always love that more than the couple of albums they put out after that once i kind of went oh well i'll just listen to that later i also like that i said i only listen to 10 or 20 bands that's hilarious well yeah okay <laughs> but that's the reason we're podcasting about music and pop culture because we fucking obsess over that but, all right, is there anything more in terms of high fidelity we want to talk about? Because we'll start winding this thing down. I just wanted to name drop. Um, Please do. I was on a, I was on a trip with um, some friends of mine in a band, uh, Muzzy Pep, and they were on a, on a tour 
up to coming from Byron. I think we started at Byron, went back through, back down through Bluey's Beach and a few other things, a few other places. And um, they were they were friends with or the they were mates with a guy who's uh, named Chris Dunn, who um, was a fan of their music. Who recently moved back to Newcastle after li- having lived in Sydney for a while, and they kind of met up, and you know they, they had yeah, formed a bit of a friendship. Chris Dunn, they said, oh, Chris, Chris had a fair bit to do with Waterfront Records back in the day. So I've just Googled. I knew he had a bit to do, but the Wikipedia entry here for Waterfront Records names Chris as the founder of Waterfront Records. <laughs> just a bit. Nineteen eighty-two. And um, I remember driving back from Byron Bay with Scott Blackley, who's the guitarist from Marzi Pep, and Chris. Chris was in the front seat. And we are talking about, you know, Chris, what, what would you listen to? We were having a very similar conversation to the one we're having just now. What are you listening to at the moment? And he gave me this personal recommendation. And for fuck, I can't remember what the recommendation, the name of the band. Uh. Band from Portland. Um, yeah, all. Girls in that TV show Sleater Kinney Sleater Kinney He said Sleater Kinney Get on to Sleater Kinney I reckon they're fantastic You know Their fucking new record from this year it's Is so one good. of the best records that's come so out this is So like, good So this is like nine, It's 2001 maybe When we had this trip back And His passion Like I was just like That's pretty cool that you founded Waterfront Records I didn't realise he was a fan. I knew he'd worked there in the early days and he told me that whole story about, you know, the guys from Hard Ons coming in and, you know, passing their thing over the counter and that's how they became the tastemakers. But, uh, you know, such... You know, I'd, I'd sort of yearn for those days, I reckon, like where you get that... I don't know if it can happen anymore. Maybe technology's the answer. Maybe... Well, I don't maybe know. Maybe it's that personal recommendation well, stuff. Well, I think you still have it with your friends, though, because... I still listen to a lot based on what, you know, friends recommend. So you can still have it to some extent, but I guess it's different when it's completely anonymous that you've just walked into a shop and... Well, it's really... We don't know how to do it. It's like maybe there needs to be once a month we we need to... Record club. We can do record club. We can do record club. Yes. High five! Yes, let's do the only, record club. The only rule about record club is there is no record club. No, let's do it. <laughs> but uh, the guy from Cherry Bar in Melbourne who's just prolifically spouting, you know, his that was high fives just Facebook, then, by the way. That was high fives. Um, he said the other day that he was talking with another club promoter, and he he feels like it's Tinder. It's part of the reason for killing a lot of the music industry, not only technology in terms of Spotify, because clubs used to be where people, you know, went out to meet girls. You know, you'd go out to a club and you'd hope to hook up. Or to up meet guys. And, well, yeah, to meet girls or to meet guys. You'd go out to a club, you'd hope to meet somebody, you'd see whatever band was there, but the whole functionality was going out to socialise. Now, Tinder, you have an app app there that you can meet somebody and then he said that usually when mm, you're trying see, to impress somebody... But see, how do you somebody, know they like the same music as you though? Well, okay, <laughs> that's true, but when you're trying to impress somebody, you take them out to a nice restaurant or something like that, you know, don't necessarily take them out to a club and fuck, if technology keeps taking over every place of everything, then, you know, what's Rob to do? What is Rob what's to do? What's a Rob do? to do? What's a Rob to do? 
I think Rob needs to go out and get drunk with Barry. Oh man, he does. And Dick. Dick's and Dick. not Dick's probably off with Animos. Maybe Rob, Dick and Barry could form a record club. <laughs> this was fun. Well, at the end of at the end of like capping it off from the end of what Nick Columbia's written in the last year about all of this in hindsight. Just just to peel back the, the curtains of this show for a moment. This is the first episode I have ever seen Moose with like pages of stuff in front of him. <laughs> He, this is how much he has wanted to do this subject, that he has printed stuff out. I'm surprised there's not like paper clips and oh, hang on. like guy. highlighters. I don't do everything on my iPad. I was promised um, synth- cheesy synthesizer versions of every track. They don't happen live. Is, is that going to happen in post? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine a talk about high fidelity without hearing Walking on Sunshine? <laughs> What is this sad old bastard music? How can it be bullshit to say it a preference? <laughs> Nick Hornby says, so maybe we need those record store guys. Maybe the reason so many of them are still around is that without them, the whole system grinds to a halt. If you own all the music ever recorded in the entire history of the world, then who are you? Those people queuing outside their local independent on record store day want to be known. And it fucking makes sense. If you like everything, how do you define yourself by what you like? I think what you need to do is the next time your friend offers you a two terabytes of free fucking music... You say no. Just say no. Just how about re- you just tell me which ones you like? Just recommend me one. Yeah. Just one album. Just say no. Just <laughs> to say music no. piracy, kids. Well, no. <laughs> just say no to... If you like... Indiscriminate fucking If you like a single, of- but you think the rest of the album's all right, but not quite the single... Fucking listen to that album day in, day out and go, oh, wow, I fucking love that album. Fuck it. You know what? Have your all-you-can-eat buffet, but uh, at least buy one If you're listening to this, album. go recommend an well, album to your friends. A recommendation. But go and buy one physical album just for me, just and for Rob. Make it on vinyl. You can get a download code with the vinyl too. Make it on a cassette. <laughs> a grubby TDK-90. Eight track. And uh, put two albums on the one cassette. It's great. Where can they find this pointy if they want to find more? Ah, um, well, if you've found this episode, we assume you know how to find the others, but please go to splittingcases.com. And if you have enjoyed this dribble, please rate us on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to us on. It's, I promise you, it's not always like listening to teared up paper. Scully, what are you doing? I'm adding, you know, it's ambiance, three-dimensional aspect to the experience. Ambiance, ambiance.
Peace out. Peace out. I've never heard you say peace out before. Well, that was post podcast. We ended the podcast with ambiance. That was where I'm cutting it. Oh no, I want to hear peace out. Mm, I'll give you peace out. And then out. this post peace out conversation. <laughs> <laughs> now this is the real end. Thanks for listening, guys. Peace hey. out. That's our new ending. Peace, peace out. out. <laughs> We've come to the pointy end. Peace out. Peace out. Peace out. We didn't even talk about Bruce Springsteen. Oh, I need to do a wee.